Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Darren Chade, who's the COO and co-founder of Hugo. It's a tool that helps you have better meetings through actionable notes in one central place. It's basically about having to stop having those meetings where you're like, what the heck happened? What do we even talk about? And all the disorganization that comes with it. And actually be able to set up your teams in a way where everyone can walk out on the same page knowing what should happen next. It's a pretty amazing tool. It's being used by all sorts of amazing businesses. We're going to talk more about it in today's episode along with Darren's journey in helping found this company. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Have you ever been in that meeting where you feel like you weren't really sure what happened in the meeting? It felt like it went on for forever. And then when you went back to look at the notes for the meeting, you're thinking, what the heck did we even get out of that? What did we, what's the next step? What are we even doing? Uh, and in fact, if you're a small business owner and you're managing a small team, you might be wondering, there's got to be a better way to systemize us getting together, chatting, and figuring out the next step so you can actually go and be effective. Well, today we're going to be talking about Hugo. And if you don't know about Hugo, it's a platform that brings all of your meeting notes and tasks together in one organized place. In fact, it's used by companies like Spotify, Adobe, Netflix, and even Slack. It's used by over 20,000 customers, and it was just awarded the top 10 most innovative companies of 2021 by Fast Company. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Darren Shade, who's the co-founder of Hugo. Darren, it's so great to have you here today. Welcome. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I'm excited, and um, I don't know if you ever... I think there's a book or like... Uh, a PowerPoint presentation called Death by Meetings. And so we all kind of know what it's like to lose sight of what we even talked about. And actually, I went to your website and uh, I love, first of all, by the way, I love how on the website, which by the way, for the listeners, you need to go to hugo.team. I love how you have the demo on the landing page of the website. And so I was watching through the demo and I was laughing because uh, the person who was narrating the demo was talking about how a lot of people will just use like a Google Docs and like the, yeah. the doc file gets to be like four or five pages long. And I was laughing because I was thinking, that's me. Like I've been in that meeting where I'm the <laughs> note taker and it's like page eight of this Google Doc. So um, I'm excited to talk about the better way for team meetings, note taking, getting it all in one place. Um, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks. And it's funny because I, uh, one of the reasons I love doing what we do is as we talk about the problem and the pain points we solve, you can just see the look in people's eyes <laughs> where it's either that, yep, yep, it's nodding trauma, away or that. It exactly. Yeah. It's trauma. It's trauma. So it's super relatable. <laughs> it doesn't take much to, 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 to exacerbate that pain point. So I totally feel you. Well, tell us where, by the way, are you phoning in from? Yeah, so right now I'm in Sydney, Australia. Um, that's my accent originally. I am Australian. Um, I've been spent the last five years in San Francisco in the Bay Area, California. 
Um, and uh, I came back for a one-week vacation in April 2020, and here I am, um, <laughs> roughly a, a year later, still on my vacation, yeah, still with milk you. in the fridge in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, tell us a little bit. You know, I've given kind of my spin on Hugo. I'd love to hear um, your take on it. What is Hugo, and how is it useful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, I mean, you, you did a great job there uh, giving some context. Uh, we definitely yeah, d- definitely need to use that snippet. But uh, we, yeah, we, we view Hugo as one place for meetings, notes, and tasks. And the, the thesis behind Hugo is that the meeting note is actually the most valuable sort of atom or representation of a meeting. Um, we think about the cost of meetings, the number of people in the room, the value and quality of discussion, decision-making, debate, that usually dissipates as soon as a meeting ends, right? We all walk out, that was great, we feel fired up, and a week, two, you know, a month later, that's all long forgotten. Um, maybe someone scribbled something down for you. It might be a Google Doc for her. It could be a notebook for me. It could be some other note-taking tool. Um, it's never going to be found again. Um, people are coming and going and leaving the company. Or even for the most organized people, trying to surface those insights at the right time is impossible. And then we can talk about actions um, and, and takeaways and follow-ups. Where do they end up? Um, maybe in a project management tool, maybe in bullet points at the end of your notes, um, completely disconnected from the way you manage work. Um, so we we came about this by saying, well, if we can just capture what happened in centralized meeting notes and organize those notes based on your calendar. So by the contacts and companies that you're meeting, um, we, we're, we're, we're sort of most of the way there and solving the problem. You end up with the whole team having access to this centralized repository of meeting notes organized by the contacts and companies they're meeting. And then we layer on the preparation piece so we can all prepare before the meeting collaboratively. We layer on the actions piece by connecting to 20 tools. So that might be updating your CRM. It might be creating a Trello card. Um, it might be syncing with your custom support uh, system. Um, wherever work's getting done, you've got your meeting notes connected. So all the actions, tasks, and takeaways um, are, all, are all where they should be. Well, it's it's a fascinating idea because you're so right. We we I mean, I would love to say we all know the cost of meetings. Now that I think of it, I can think of certain people who've led meetings for almost hours on end, and I wonder if they actually know how much money they're spending with these meetings. <laughs> but you make a great point. It's this sense of you walk away from the meeting where everyone's in agreement, and yet the busyness of the day sets on, things get really chaotic sometimes. Maybe you have a client who calls you and so now you're all focused on that person and then a week goes by and you're thinking, okay, yeah, what, what were we supposed to do coming out of that meeting or um, you know, what, what is the next step? So what, how did you come up, come up with this idea, by the way? What, what made you come up with the idea of Hugo? Yeah, well, it's funny you ask because it relates exactly to the cost point you just made. Um, I come from a background as a corporate attorney. I worked as a corporate attorney in Australia before I moved to the US. Um, my co-founder, Josh, who's a long-time great friend of mine, um, worked in product and, and specifically did a lot of business development and, and relationship building there. And we, we regularly would catch up and share some of the pain points around meetings. Um, and as an attorney, it's kind of funny because you walk out of the meeting and you can literally see the cost of the meeting. It's right in front of you on the billing systems we use. So you'd walk out of a meeting that really didn't agree that much. There are a lot of people in the room. There's a few vague takeaways. Most of it's not captured. And you'd go and bill a client $6,000 because you had, you know, eight people there or whatever it may be. And that for me was mind blowing. Of course, that applies across every industry. It's just that professional service people like, like attorneys see that right in front of them. 
Um, and Josh had a very similar experience where he would have these conversations, but the organizational knowledge generated in them wasn't retained or accessible. Um, so we, we actually tried to solve Hugo in quite a different way initially. Um, we were focused more on um, being in the know before the meeting. And, and obviously, as we, as we took something to market and learnt um, from ourselves building a business and from our customers, Hugo became Hugo. That's incredible. Well, uh, talk to me a little bit more about that last piece where, because it feels like there's a, a common um, journey that many successful companies go through where what they envision the product being, and then once they go to market and actually get it out there, it sort of takes on a life of its own and it's it sort of yeah. morphs in terms of what it is. It feels like the businesses who do really well sort of embrace that and let their customers yeah. shape their product. Meanwhile, the businesses who really struggle, I guess, are typically the founders who they think, well, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I envisioned. Um, I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, it's a very interesting dilemma. So, um, you know, no plan survives engagement with the enemy, as they say. And um, you can have something that you think will be successful and you've done all the research in the world and it doesn't pan out that way. Um, and, the, you know, the term pivot is, is, is now part of the vernacular and we, we use it all the time. And now it's almost got a negative connotation, perhaps. Um, but it, it, it's tough because um, on one sense, in one school of thought, as a founder, you should be solving a problem that you're passionate about, something that you know something unique about, that you care about, that you've experienced most of the time or some of the time. Um, so you're going to market solving this problem. You then go to, you take your product to market, you get some real customers and your product or service doesn't fall where you thought it would be. Um, but, you know, if you're doing it the right way and you're talking to customers and, and you're, you're listening, you're learning a ton. There's a lot of opportunities to iterate, to slightly morph or to completely change and go in a different direction. But often that's not what you set out to do and which is inconsistent with the first advice. So do you go to market and sort of follow your customers and, um, and, and, uh, do, you know, follow the, take the path that they dictate or do you remain true to what you wanted to do? And that's something we really struggled with. And there's another perspective as well. The famous Henry Ford quote that said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, we would have built faster horses. Customers don't know what, or uh, don't know what they don't know in, in many cases, especially if it's more technical product. Um, so we, we really struggled with that to be, to be honest. I, I think we were we were lucky because um, the the first product didn't make sense. It did, it didn't work out, um, and we ended up building Hugo more as a solution for ourselves to experiment with. And we saw um, a it was a problem that we were familiar with and cared a lot about because it was a problem we were experiencing. Um, but we still saw traction from customers with that problem far greater than the original um, solution. So we were pulled that way. But there's no there's no magic answer. I think um, I, it, it's really you just got to think about both you've got to try and straddle um the gray and the and, and the balance between having a problem you care about to solve but listening and following customers as far as what the solution could be mm. darren there's people who are listening who are entrepreneurial maybe they've already started their venture and you use the word traction and they're thinking about <laughs> how do i build traction in my business you know, maybe they got their product out there. Maybe they have their service out there. Maybe they have some customers. But looking at some of your customers, it's a it's a pretty impressive list of companies that everyone knows and that everyone would love to have as a customer. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you created that spark and turned that spark into traction that actually built itself into a meaningful, sustainable brand. 
Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's really difficult. There's there's no, no new secret here, um, as you, you know. And in fact, you didn't just send like an email and just people started <laughs> woke up one morning. Tells and, me, as, you know, exactly. Um, it's it's funny. I, I think um, you know they used to. There, there's a famous Paul Graham quote from back in the day, who's a who's a very big influencer. Started Y Combinator and a few other things, and um, he he said, you know, build it and they will come. Essentially, and uh, there's nothing that could be less true in 2021. Um, to, to be honest, I, I think one of the big mistakes, if you were to ask me, things we would have done differently over again was leaving distribution and go to market way too late. We all thought we thought it was about product and or, or a service from some for some businesses. Get that right, um, figure out the the model and uh, and worry about marketing and go to market later. Um, it's to be honest, in 2021, it's the inverse is the challenge. It's never been easy to start a business, particularly a software business. So there's many, many people like you who are doing lots of things. So when you're trying to get the attention of, of potential customers and audience, it's the hardest it's ever been. So it's the easiest it's ever been to build a product or service, but the hardest it's ever been to distribute it. So if you're trying to de-risk a business and go to market, sure, um, obviously what you should be doing is thinking about distribution first. The a challenge um, because the product is more of a no-known in many cases. Um, we did the opposite, to be frank. We, we built the product, we went to market um, uh, in, a, in a sort of not very thoughtful way, thinking that a great product will find its legs and, and find some customers. Um, and uh, it was the it was it, it was really tough until we totally focused um, on distribution. So what would I do differently? I know that wasn't the question, but definitely the takeaway. Um, I would focus on distribution first. And uh, there's lots of things you can do to build a minimum viable product or some sort of landing page or some sort of product, you know, lightweight product to capture that interest, but prove out distribution. Um, so for us, that was late. Um, but we got there um, later than than I would than I would have liked, and um, that that is really just thinking through go to market. How do you how do you get um, the eyeballs and 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 get attention? And um, there was no secret weapon. Um, it wasn't the one campaign or anything like that. <laughs> um, save is to say that um, the the traditional channels still work. We use content very heavily. Um, word of mouth referral marketing is is, is very effective. Um, a great website, SEO and SEM, search engine optimization, search engine marketing, um, everything that you know the playbook says still works. And then of course you look for opportunities to differentiate and build on top of that. I really like that because it almost feels like today's culture has gotten so hipster when it comes to generating sales. You know, it's what's like, oh, SEO, that's so dated. You should be doing this yeah. instead. And it's always refreshing, I think, when I talk to someone who's like, no, we just we just did the basic stuff in it. You know, obviously yeah. it was a lot of work, but it worked out for us. The other thing that I appreciate you mentioned is, um, you know, when you start a business, you try to grow a business. Obviously, you're really passionate about it. You love it. I mean, you really feel strongly about it. But this concept of going to market and getting eyes on it I think a lot of times we are so protective of our product. You know, we want that first reaction to be, you know, it's it's the company that their MVP has been an MVP stage for two years, you know, and they're just still fine tuning yeah. it and still trying to make it really good. How did you separate the need to get your product out there with the passion and sort of, um, parental sense of, of, you know, this is my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how did you do that? Or what advice do you have to someone who's maybe struggling with um, feeling protective of their product? 
Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll, I can share an answer to that, and you probably won't listen to it, and uh, and you'll probably do the same thing and give the same advice shortly after, because <laughs> that was me, right? Um, I, I think everyone, it's a natural tendency as founders, exactly as you describe. And Reid Hoffman, um, he's the founder of LinkedIn, um, and he, he famously said, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you left it too late um, to, to go out the door. And um, that we definitely experienced that, um, you, you know, especially again in 20. 2021 there's a ton of products out there you want something beautiful differentiated high quality that that just nails it um that's never gonna happen so your options are to try and perfect something in a vacuum as my co-founder josh always talks about um that maybe that 0.01 percent of the time it's going to be actually spot on to be honest that's just luck um but most of the time it's not so this perfect product in a vacuum um is is one option and that's going to delay finding the insights and 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 uh, allow you to build the wrong product or or wrong features or the wrong part of the service for a long time or get it out the door you're embarrassed yes um it's 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 still probably not going to work but the, the you're going to have these insights coming in immediately so that's why we um that's how we think about it that's how we think about um the well that's you know in in retrospect um what i wish we did a little bit earlier and as soon as we started releasing things that weren't quite fully baked and getting the flood of customer insights and feedback it reinforced for us how important it is to get out the door soon so all i can say and it's the hardest thing to do um as a founder that cares a lot about the product or service you're building um but the sooner you can get it out the door and out of that vacuum the better because no doubt you're going to take some left and right turns um once the real world gets 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 its eyes on on <laughs> what you're building. How how do you build a really strong process for gathering that feedback? You know, getting those insights. Um, I feel like a lot of times we don't really know what our customers think or feel about our product, um, or we show our product like to our mom, and we're like, you know, what yeah. do you think? And you know, your mom's like, oh, it's amazing. I love That's it. Right. Yeah. You know, like, you're perfect. <laughs> like, what does that look like for a a business? Totally. Um, so, oh, obviously, it, it's, it goes without saying how incredibly important it is. Um, and as you as you touched on, um, getting those insights from real representative people, um, all well and good having friends and family, ex, ex-co-workers, but the real world um, and made up of the persona that you're going after is totally critical. Um, we, we, we set sort of disciplines internally about the number of customers we wanted to speak to every week or prospective or potential customers. Um, we, at the, in the early days, we were talking 10 plus, spending most of the day out of the office, so to speak. Um, and that's because um, there was no better place for us to spend our time. I mean, if we weren't hearing from people that we were going to be building for and selling for, who, who would who should we be talking to? Um, and uh, the things you pick up, even between the lines, you know, it's not even a case of, do you like this? Would you use it? Um, but just the, the words, the the way they talk about their industry and space, um, the the where, what excites them, watching their eyes, all of these things totally dictate, even subconsciously, the way you build your product and service. Um, how to do that? Um, you know, I have this great new product or service. The market doesn't care about me. I don't have any marketing um, yet. Well, the best thing you can do is is get involved in the communities that where your personas hang out. Um, you offer incentives. Um, you know, we we sort of said, okay, we're going to go and offer you know fifty dollar Amazon gift card because we really needed people. What you'll find a lot of the time is people want to help because um, not only you know they see you as a as a founder or, or an entrepreneur trying to build something, but they care about the problem you're solving. 
Mm-hmm. So if I go out there saying, look, we're trying to solve this particular problem with meetings, the people who you want to talk to are the ones that are like, oh, my God, please, and please let me use it first, or please show me how you're going to solve this because I hate this. They don't need the incentive. The incentive is you solving their problem. Um, so, th- yeah, think a lot about communities. Um, there's now a ton of uh, research recruitment tools out there, um, respondent.io, uh, and, and then you've got all your survey monkeys and others where you can buy more survey-style responses. Um, there's plenty of ways to go and get in front of people who may represent the customer you're using. And, uh, and then, of course, they refer people. And, and, and you start, as you start to meet people in this space, you meet more people and, and you have this large audience of, of prospective customers um, to test things with. How have you developed thick skin in the startup world and the entrepreneurial world and just on your journey? Because I, I think that is part of the problem with what keeps us from seeking that feedback is um, like I've even heard it described as someone was showing me all their feedback responses and um, they said, oh, but that one customer, we didn't ask them because we knew it'd be really terrible. And so mm-hmm. they had purposely avoided the really harsh feedback, even though that, that could have been probably pretty insightful. Um, yeah. So how have you how have you gotten tough in today's uh, world? I have, but haven't. To be completely honest, um, you know, I, I still care a lot. It still hurts every time you see something come through that that's negative, even if it is in the you know minority. Um, because naturally, you're building something, and someone's told you your firstborn child is ugly. <laughs> really, right? <laughs> um, and uh, it's it, it it doesn't it's not it's not easy. And I, and I think to be honest, if you don't care that people don't like your product um, or don't think there's a real pain point, there's also a problem because ultimately you should take that on board. Um, Having said that, there's a couple of things. I think firstly, um, you're not building for everyone. So naturally, the people who are going to see your product um, is far greater than the people you're building for. So you have to realize that a lot of the people who who have these views um, or don't see the value or, or criticize the product aren't right. Um, you know, for example, we get a ton of negative feedback from um, university students because um, they don't really use their calendar for, um, for, for, for meetings. And, and then Hugo isn't a good experience for taking notes that don't relate to meetings because that's not what we do. Um, so if you go and look through feedback channels and, you know, there might be days at the beginning of um, when college starts or whatever it may be, um, and you see all this negative feedback, you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, who gets value out of Hugo? And then you start to realize, well, hang on, that doesn't represent who we're after. In fact, that reinforces the product we're doing and who we're building for. So that's great. You segmented and, and, and identify that. Um, so the thick skin um, thing, it, it really doesn't – it's not, it's not easy, but try look at it objectively. Um, the world is huge. There's so many billions of people, especially in many markets that you know, we're building for and others too. And you only need a tiny percentage to get value and, and see value in your product to be a very successful business. Um, and that's the other thing as well. Like That's fine if 70% of a huge market – don't get it or don't see the value. One, they'll probably learn. They're not early adopters. They're further down the cycle. Um, but if not, anyway, that's totally fine. I'm very half to, happy to go after 30% of, you know, a few billion people or, or whatever it may be. Right. Um, and finally, I, I think that just generally, in, in, you know, not for, entrepreneur, for entrepreneurs in general, thick skin for me has come from the experience of bad things happening that turn out okay. So the first time, you know, an employee resigns, you, you, you throw your hands up in the air, you're like, this is all over. We're screwed. I don't know. We're never going to recover <laughs> from this. That person knows everything about the business. Um, we're never going to be able to hire someone as good. It's all over. Might as well give up and, and you know, start looking for a job. Um, 
sure as hell what happens you move on you hire someone maybe even better you uh you figure out that actually there's a better way to structure that role or you replace them and and, the, and life goes on and then the next time someone resigns you're like all right well that worked out fine last time not the end of the world but it's a bit annoying but we'll move on and that sort of experience time and time again really helps um now there's less things that really penetrate you know that my, my skin so to speak and um and uh and and and, and you know make you feel like that so it gets better is all I can really say. Yeah. And that process of like building resiliency, I think it's only done through time. Tell me a little bit. I mean, you're talking about these real pain points that I think we all go through in growing our business, um, you know, anywhere from employment or excuse me, uh, employees and hiring to cash flow and who's even going to like my product. Tell me about your perspective on social media, which it feels like more and more it's the highlight reel for people's products. Yeah. <laughs> it's how amazing the story's been. Um, I, I feel badly for entrepreneurs and startup founders today because it, it's an unfair game in the sense of if they don't know any better and they spend any time on social media, you know, they'll see the story of the tech founder who, you know, they talk about how, yeah, COVID hit. And then three months later, I had my app out. And then three months after that, I had, you know, 100,000 people using it. And so you read that and you're thinking, what in the world? And the person's left out, you know, the five years prior to that, where they worked on it and quit, went back to the corporate world, worked on it again. And then, so give me, give me your take on today's social yeah. media culture. Couldn't agree more. I talk about this all the time with my co-founder and we, we've got a mandate internally as well um, around company social content being really truthful um, because I, I think we've got a responsibility, but it's also not true. It's not in our DNA to to paint this sort of part part truth. Um, it, it's a problem that Twitters and LinkedIn's of the world, I, I think, um, which are sources of great content and, and obviously have a can add a lot of value for being connected with others in our space, can do a lot of damage um, for uh, vulnerable or, fa or or founders and entrepreneurs at this stage, like all of us who aren't there yet, who haven't made it, so to speak. And all you're seeing are people that are overnight successes. And there's plenty of funny metaphors here. And, um, you know, you think about the iceberg and all of that, where um, it's the five-year overnight success um, that happens all the time. Um, it's, it's simply not true. The story is either um, uh, leaving out key parts of the story or it's revisionist history where, yeah, we've forgotten about all, the, all those existential challenges and huge mistakes we made. Um, we're only remembering the last 10% where things did look good in isolation. Um, and the other thing that I've learned as well, especially with PR and, you know, people often talk about like the tech crunch effect in our world, um, in, in, in the tech world where you read these amazing stories. Um, it's, it's not that it's not truthful, but you add a, put a PR spin on, on, on anything and the story has a very different focus. So again, it's no longer about your journey to that point. It's no longer about the huge mistakes you've made. Um, it's simply about metrics and even numbers and those crazy, you know, crazy numbers and metrics often do get embellished a little bit or, or recalculated in, in convenient ways. And I don't believe what you read is, is, is unfortunately what I'm, what I'm saying there. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the best advice there is not necessarily to steer clear of social. I do think it helps to be plugged in, but try as much as you can to build that filter where when you're reading things, it's through that lens where you're remembering that this is ultimately a PR channel. Um, people are attracted to, to success. Customers are attracted to success. So people are telling a story that, is is really doesn't perfectly represent history and the truth because it achieves that goal um of of you know 
of, of customer acquisition or, or awareness or whatever it may be. But it's not easy. It's no different to what you'd be, you know, telling friends and kids and the like about Instagram and the perfect families and model influences and the like. That's just not the real world. We have the same problem as entrepreneurs for sure. Darren, that's great advice. And, you know, for someone who has, you've been building a business, I mentioned in our uh, introduction, uh, just awarded the top 10 most innovative companies of 2021 by Fast Company. It's got to feel good. What is next for Hugo? Yeah, we, we're, on a, we're, we're still on a, a journey of building. I, I think that's both a, um, a go-to-market and awareness and growing, growing our customer base and audience and becoming a household name around meetings. Um, but at a product level, we have a ton still to do. Um, we want to be that go-to meeting workflow platform that everyone thinks about when you start a company alongside your email and payroll and perhaps your chat apps. Um, so we, we're just getting started um, and uh, we've been at it for years already and we're literally just, just getting started. Well, Darren, I'm excited. And uh, as I mentioned, we'll be sure to put the Hugo website down in the episode description for our listeners. Um, is that the best place for people to stay up to date on Hugo or is, is there a LinkedIn profile? Would it be yours or the companies where people can continue to follow information on Hugo? Yeah, so our website, hugo.team, is, is a good spot and LinkedIn as well. Um, so you can find us, Hugo, on LinkedIn um, or on Twitter, Hugo Product um, is the name of our Twitter handle. As, as promised, we, we, we definitely stick stick to the, the, the truth there and uh, you won't see crazy graphs up and to the right and, and, and <laughs> stories that aren't quite true, uh, more of an insight into what's happening in the business and, and uh, the ups and downs. So definitely give us a follow and very happy to chat to any others going, going on the same journey. So feel free to reach out. Darren, thanks for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. Hey, for our listeners, like I mentioned, I'll put hugo.team down in the episode description. I'm also going to put the uh, link to Darren's LinkedIn bio and also their company page down in the episode description if you want to reach out or just follow their journey. But especially if you want to use Hugo for your own business, again, go to hugo.team. Hey, by the way, if you've been following the podcast and you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, what the heck are you waiting on? Click subscribe or follow so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And hey, don't forget, if you love the podcast and you want to support the podcast, we do have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash good advice where you can support the podcast or even get your business promoted on the podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash good advice. As always, man, we love you guys. We appreciate your support. And thanks for listening to the Good Advice Podcast. We'll catch you later. See ya.